Welcome to the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast, featuring the original hockey insider, Bob McKenzie. Hey, that's me, answering your questions on hockey or just about anything else, within reason, of course. If you have a question you would like answered, email me at bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca. And we'll try to get it on the Bobcast. We were a blowout of wicked proportions, an accidental company. Hey everyone, and welcome to Season 3, Episode number 19 of the At TSN Hockey Bobcast. This one for Tuesday, June 18th, 2019. We are live to tape from Las Vegas, baby. There's the strip. I'm looking out my window. The MGM Grand, Mandalay Bay, where the NHL Awards will be held on Wednesday night. Uh, that'll be tomorrow night, I guess. And uh, so, yeah, so it's the pre-entry draft edition of the Bobcast, uh, one of my favorite times of years. Um and it's another stellar sound production, as you can hear. And I shouldn't even joke about that, because uh, on the last Bobcast, where the sound was a little tinny because I was on a remote location, um, some guy took me to task on Twitter, saying I shouldn't joke about it, that it was unlistenable, and that I should be ashamed of myself. And so I do feel shame, and I'm really broken up about it. <laughs> um, but, you know, as far as the Bobcast goes... I've told you guys from the get-go, it is what it is. If you like it, great. I'm happy. I'm glad. If you don't like it and you don't want to listen to it, I understand. Not a problem. But uh, the, this is the reality. I've got a microphone and uh, an application on the iPad. And uh, when I'm not at home using better technology that hooks into the TSN soundboard, um, this is what we got. So, hey. There you go. Anyways, um, I guess this is also the penultimate edition of the Bobcast. And for those that don't know what penultimate means, next to last. But I got to be honest with you. Um, with this Bobcast, like normally I would have done this Bobcast late last week um, on the two-week schedule. But uh, we wanted to wait until we had the TSN final draft rankings list that came out on Monday morning, which we now have. So this was my first opportunity to do it since that list came out. Um, and now I'm looking at next week, and I'm trying to figure out when am I going to squeeze in a Bobcast. And I guess what I'm saying is we may be able to do it. We may not. Everything's kind of in a state of flux. Schedule's a little bit seat of pants right now. Um, so we'll see if, if, if by chance... Easy for me to say. If by chance this is the last Bobcast of the year, and I don't intend it to be, but just in case it is, um, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, as always, at the end of the Bobcast season, whenever that is, either next week or now, um, but once we get to July 2nd and vacation time, we will give some long, hard thought as to whether or not the Bobcast is coming back for season four or not. But uh, that's a story for another day. All right, what else have we got here? Um, I want to go through the draft list in a second. Um, yeah, so uh, busy times. I mean, lots and lots going on. Uh, we saw the Eric Carlson signing happen. We saw the Jacob Truba trade, the Ole Mata trade. Um, there's a lot of things percolating here. So let's uh, let's get busy. But I think we're probably going to start with the draft-centric portion 
of the Bobcast here and uh, go through the TSN rankings. To absolutely nobody's surprise, uh, Jack Hughes from the U.S. Under-18 program is number one on the TSN list, um, and I fully expect to go to the Devils. More on that later. Um, and, I mean, Hughes was number one in the preseason ranking. Ten out of ten scouts in September said he was number one. He was number one at the mid-season ranking in late January. Ten out of ten scouts surveyed by TSN had him at number one. He was number one on the draft lottery edition rankings um, in uh, early April. Ten out of ten scouts, again, had him at number one. And so the only difference this time Instead of 10 out of 10 scouts saying that Hughes is the number one prospect for this draft, um, 8 out of 10 said it. There were two who were impressed enough by Capo Caco at the World Championships um, playing for Finland and a dominant performance by him that they, uh, that they had Caco ahead of Hughes. Now, as I wrote on tsn.ca in the story that accompanies the, the rankings, it's a bit of an illusion because... When all those 10 out of 10s and the fact that he's been the number one guy wire to wire, it looks like he's in a class by himself, but he's not. He's just not. And um, part of the problem is, as soon as the draft lottery occurred, and it was the Rangers, sorry, the Devils at number one and the Rangers at number two, virtually every other team in the National Hockey League totally lost interest in thoroughly debating who's the number one prospect, because it is a draft where there are a clear-cut two guys at the top, Hughes and Kako. And um, so when teams get together and they put their list together, they spend about, some of the scouts I talked to said they spend about 30 seconds trying to figure out who should be number one, Hughes or Kako, because they don't really care, because they don't believe that it's a decision they need to make. And in fact, when you push these scouts, many of whom took Hughes over Kako, and you push them a little harder and you find out, yeah, we had him at number one, but yeah, it, it really is a coin flip. That, that Kako is so big and so strong, and he was so dominant at the World Championships, and he's been dominant all season long in the Finnish Elite League, um, scoring goals like it's his job. Um, he's going to make an immediate impact in the National Hockey League, and he is most certainly believed to be, by all of the scouts, to be in the same universe as Jack Hughes. And as I said, I was a little interested to try and expand the survey a little bit to see if things would be a little bit different. Um, so I, I went to another, let's see, 11 teams in the National Hockey League, and that's some Hughes or Kako, who's number one. Six of the 11 teams, the additional 11 teams I talked to, said Hughes. Two more said Kako, and three said they are totally undecided, that they couldn't come to a final decision, and they never really came to a final decision, which I found interesting. So if you add up the eight and two results from my initial ten, uh, six to the eight is 14, uh, two to two is four, so uh, 14 for Hughes, four for Kako, and three that really couldn't decide or wouldn't decide because it was that close. And you can start to see how it's starting to get a lot closer. Um, and, uh, and and we'll see where it goes from there. So I won't dwell too much on it here, but just understand that this Hughes at number one and Kako at number two thing, um, in the eyes of a lot of really good hockey people, these guys are very much interchangeable parts. 
Uh, number three, Vancouver Giant offensive defenseman Bowen Byram. Kid's got game, got some swagger, offensive confidence. Um, so he's the number three. Now, that, uh, I'll talk more about the, the, the methodology on the list in a moment, but it's not a mock draft, so I'm not saying that Bowen Byram's going number three to the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, he's just simply the consensus number three choice amongst the scouts that we surveyed. Number four, Alex Turcott, hard-driving, two-way center, son of former NHLer Alfie Turcott. Um, he's number four, the U.S. Under-18 program. Number five, big Kirby Doc, the six-foot-four Saskatoon Blade Center. Huge upside here. Tremendously skilled, um, gifted hockey sense, elite hockey sense, elite hands, um, and the size. When he fills out, he's going to be a handful. Uh, a lot of Ryan Getzlaff comparisons insofar as in Getzlaff's draft year, um, he fell and fell hard because he was... I guess he was lazy. I mean, we played when he wanted to play, and when he wasn't interested in playing, he didn't. And so as a result, his draft stock fell, um, but he's turned out to be obviously a premier NHLer, and a lot of people believe Doc sort of has the same temperament and skill set as, uh, as Getzlaff. Number six is Dylan Cousins, representing UConn, UConn territory, uh, Whitehorse, I think somewhere along the line, I'm trying to remember where I did a radio interview, and I think I said he was from Yellowknife, um, going back and confusing my uh, my Canadian territories. So when I was a kid growing up, there was only two territories, the Yukon and Northwest Territories. And, of course, Whitehorse is uh, the capital of Yukon. And uh, Yellowknife is the Northwest Territories. But now we've got a third territory in Nunavut, and uh, we no longer call the Yukon the Yukon. We just call it Yukon, so you learn something every day. I try to stay up with all the, uh, the terminology. But anyway, Dylan Cousins, big, strong, powerful center from the Lethbridge Hurricanes at number six. Number seven is Trevor, Trevor Zegras from the uh, U.S. Under-18 team. Highly, highly skilled, elite hockey sense, unbelievable playmaking ability. Plays the half wall on the, the U.S. Under-18 power play. Dynamite offensive player. Number eight, Vasily Podkolzin, uh, the first Russian. Um, actually, the only Russian uh, in the first round. Uh, he fell from number three. He was basically number three all season. And there's a bit of a Russian factor going on here. The kid's really hard-working player, um, really good player. and um, But he's got two more years' commitment to his KHL team, so we'll talk a little bit more about some of the teams that are looking at him. Uh, number nine is Cole Caulfield, 72-goal man, best natural goal scorer. In the, uh, in the draft, he's going to get the Alex Debrinkit bounce, if you want to call it that. A uh, number of years ago when Alex Debrinkit was taken in the second round by the Chicago Blackhawks, now he turns out to be a 40-goal man. From the beginning of the season, people knew that, De- that Caulfield was very similar to Debrinkit, could even be better, and as such, no one's going to wait to the second round to take him. But he's uh, congratulations to Cole Caulfield, by the way. He's now five foot seven. Measure, weighed and measured at the NHL Combine, Central Scouting Combine in Buffalo. He cracked the 5'7 mark, so he's no longer 5'6. 5'7 sounds a lot better than 5'6, doesn't it? It's like me. Um, I just recently cracked the 5'8 barrier, um, and 5'9 sounds a lot better than 5'8. So I'm 5'8 and a half, but I sometimes fudge it when someone asks me how tall I am, I'll go 5'9. Confessions, yep. Uh, number 10, Peyton Krebs, 
uh, Kootenai Ice, now Winnipeg Ice, because the franchise shifted to Winnipeg, um, suffered a partial tear of his Achilles tendon um, while practicing recently. And uh, there will be some concern over that, but I think in the grand scheme of things, even though he's a sub-six-foot center, he plays such a smart two-way game, I don't think it'll drastically hurt him. Uh, but the medical authorities for each of the teams that might draft him are going to be all over this kid, his doctor, the MRIs, the x-rays, and everything else that goes with it. That's your top ten. Um, let's zip very quickly through the uh, the balance of the first round. Matthew Boldy, big, strong winger, can score goals, but uh, can play the physical game as well from that U.S. under-18 team. Uh, he's a, can a strong candidate to crack into that top ten. Number 12, Spencer Knight, uh, elite potential franchise goaltender. We're going to talk more about Spencer Knight. Six foot four, unbelievable athleticism. Really tore the combine apart in all the physical testing. Got a chance to be really special. And uh, we've got some questions on night, so I won't spoil it now. Number 13 is Alex Newhook. He's one of my favorite prospects, simply because I get to say he's my all-Canadian prospect. He's coast-to-coast -coast on buttered toast, as they like to say. Uh, born and bred in St. John's, Newfoundland. Came to southern Ontario, the greater Toronto area, to attend St. Andrew's College in Aurora. Uh, as a, as a teenager, and played minor midget hockey for the York Simcoe Express, same organization that produced Connor McDavid, Quinton Byfield, who will be up for next year's draft. Um, anyways, uh, he got drafted into the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League because he is a Maritimer. Um, and uh, are, 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 wait a second, is, is Newfoundland part of the Maritimes? I'm not sure it is. I might get called on that one. So I'll, I'll scratch the Maritime reference and just say, um, because he's from Newfoundland, um, he's eligible for the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League draft, got drafted by Halifax, but decided not to go, committed instead to Boston College, and then headed out all the way to Victoria, British Columbia, to play for the Victoria Grizzlies, uh, the same Junior A team that uh, produced the Ben brothers, uh, Jordy, Jordy and Jamie. And... Um, yeah, he's had two great years there. So uh, St. John's, Newfoundland to Victoria, British Columbia. Doesn't get any more Canadian than that for Alex Newhook. Uh, starting at number 14, we've got a run of five straight defensemen. What's, what's unique about this draft is that Byram is the only guy ranked in the top 10. Well, for that matter, the only guy ranked in the top 13 who's a defenseman. And if it should happen that only one defenseman, Bowen Byram, went in the top 10, of this draft, it would be the only the fourth time in the 51-year history of the draft that that is the case. Um, anyways, uh, we've got Swedish defenseman Victor Soderstrom at 14, German defenseman Moritz Seeder at 15, Swedish defenseman Philip Broberg at 16, dual citizen Thomas Harley of the Mississauga Steelheads, uh, American kid, but. Uh, has decided to choose Canada as his international representation. His parents are uh, Canadian. Uh, anyways, Harley at number 17. And U.S. under-18 offensive defenseman Cam York at number 19. So I'll be curious to see if any of those five defensemen, any one of them might sneak into the top 10, um, or whether teams that might want to take a defenseman who are in the top 10 or 12 might drop back a little bit. We'll have to keep an eye 
on that possibility. Number 19 is the first Quebec Major Junior Hockey League player, and that would be Raphael Lavoie, um, Halifax Mooseheads, good scoring uh, center who can also play the wing. Number 20, Ryan Suzuki from the Barry Colts, younger brother of Nick Suzuki, the Montreal Canadian prospect who was taken in the first round by the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, I love this draft because as one scout, when he sent me his, uh, his list in, he had Harley and Suzuki next to each other, so we call this the motorcycle draft. Uh, number 21 is Arthur Kaliev, the biggest wild card in the draft. Uh, Hamilton Bulldog, six foot two winger, um, great physical tools, an unbelievable shot, can score from far out, can score in tight, great hands, really underrated playmaking ability, scored 51 goals. So I guess the question would be, what the hell is he doing at number 21? And the answer is, he's a real in and outer. Um, some games shows up, some games doesn't. Uh, some games looks motivated, some games doesn't. And uh, there was greater variance on the scouts I surveyed on him than any other player that got ranked in the first round. Um, one scout had Kaliev inside his top 10. Another scout had Kaliev between 40 and 50 overall. And the other eight scouts were literally everything in between. Uh, six had him in the first round, four had him in the second round. Uh, so he's a really polarizing guy. Um, so he's either going to be... Um, a big Alex Dabrinkit, who gets taken maybe later than he should have and scores a boatload of goals in the National Hockey League, and people say, boy, did we miss on this kid. Or he's going to be Pavel Brendel. And if you don't know who Pavel Brendel is, look it up. 72-goal uh, man, I think, with the Calgary Hitman uh, many moon ago when uh, he uh, he got drafted, what, fourth, fifth overall by the uh, the New York Rangers. And the fact that you may not recognize his name tells you that he really didn't have a distinguished National Hockey League career. Uh, Philip Tomasino of the Niagara Ice Dogs, speedy center, number 22. He's rocketed up the charts. Uh, people are pretty uh, pretty high on him right now. 23, Finnish defenseman Vili Ainola. 24, Samuel Poulin, son of Patrick Poulin, who was a Hartford Whaler first-round pick. Uh, 25, Matthew Robertson. He's dropped... Over the course of the season, I think he dropped eight spots from mid-season to now. And that's defensive defenseman, man. Matthew Robertson is, is more suited to play shutdown defensive hockey than all-out offense like Byram. And those guys seem to, uh, to suffer. Uh, Bobby Brink, number 26, one of my favorite players in the draft. I'm going to tell a Bobby Brink story in a minute, so we'll skip over him. Of course, he plays in the USHL um, and played for the U.S at the under-18 World Championships in April and did very well there. Tobias Bjornfot, another Swedish defenseman at 27. Connor McMichael, center with the London Knights at 28. Alex Vlasic, a big uh, defensive defenseman for the U.S. under-18 team. Lassie Thompson, another defenseman, uh, plays for the Kelowna Rockets. And uh, skilled forward Jacob Peltier from the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League rounds things out at number 31. Now, you wouldn't know this if I didn't tell you, um, but, uh, I realized there was like a, a, a fairly audible hum coming from my mini bar fridge in the room. And, you know, you know how important quality control on sound is for me and production value with the Bobcast. So I went over and when I opened the door, the hum stopped. So, um, 
And I closed it and it got loud again. And I think you could hear it in the background. So I hope the sound's a little bit better now because I just took my passport and jammed it in, preventing the mini bar fridge from closing. So um, anyways, probably more information than you required, but we're always full disclosure here at the Bobcast. Uh, I mentioned Bobby Brink before, and I want to tell a story about Bobby Brink because it's one of my favorite stories of the entire draft. Now, Bobby Brink's a really good prospect. He, he's kind of an old-school player. He's, he's a gritty guy, and he scores goals, but he's kind of got an ugly stride. Not a great skater, but not a terrible skater. In, in the hockey vernacular, he gets there, and he scores big goals at the, the World Junior A Challenge playing for Team USA against the Russians. Um, he'd, he'd blocked a shot in a, in a previous game and uh, played a couple more games, including the gold medal game, and, uh, and, and, and scored what turned out to be the game-winning goal in a 2 nothing win. And immediately after the tournament, he found out that he had a, a broken ankle, that when he blocked the shot, so, you know, this is Bobby Bond stuff. Everybody knows the Bobby Bond story. He scored the game-winning goal of the Stanley Cup on a on a broken foot or a broken leg or whatever the hockey lore says it is. But anyways, kind of cool. So, as I say, he and, he and he finished the season very strong playing for the U.S. Under-18 team at the World Championships. But the really cool thing about Bobby Brink is courtesy of his dad, Andy, um, is his name. Now, it's been well documented that Bobby Brink's middle name is, well, his full name is Bobby Orr Brink. I kid you not. Bobby Orr Brink. Um, his dad, Andy's a huge hockey guy, obviously. Uh, wanted to pay tribute to some of the great players and have his son, Bobby. So he, he included Bobby Orr as part of his name. And at the time that he was naming him, he actually had to decide it was either going to be Bobby Orr Brink or it was going to be Bobby Clark Brink. And he decided to go with Bobby Orr. Can never go wrong going with Bobby Orr. Um, although Bobby Clobber and Bobby Clark, he's a beauty too. Anyways, um, but it gets even better again. Now, Bobby's got some younger brothers. Uh, he's got a brother, Joe, who's 16 years old. He's got a brother, Henry, who I believe is 14 years old. Now, Joe's full name is Joseph Henry Brink. And um, his younger youngest brother, Henry's full name is Henry Richard Brink. So Joseph Henry Brink and Henry Richard Brink. Except it's not really. If you, if you know your Montreal Canadian tradition, lore, um, history, you know that Maurice Rocket Richard's full name was Joseph Henri Maurice Richard. And Joseph Henry Brink um, is named for Maurice Richard. So, you know, Joseph Henri became Joseph Henry. He didn't include Maurice as part of it. Um, but nevertheless, Andy, with the really cool application, of Montreal Canadian names for his, his sons. And then he went, if, if he was going full rocket on, uh, on, on Joe, Joe's name, he went full pocket rocket on Henri Richard Brink. Now, because they're Americans, they've Americanized things, so he's Henry Richard Brink, but he's named for Henri Richard. And uh, that's very, very cool.
All right, let's get to some questions here, and we've got a lot of them on the draft. Um, first two are very similar. Hey, Bob, I get a lot of people asking me how you go about compiling your rankings. You once took 10 minutes and explained it to me in detail at the top prospects game in Niagara a few years back, but I have a horrible memory. I'm guessing your listeners would enjoy you explaining the process right down to your old school notepad. Cheers, Mark. And that Mark is, in fact, Mark Edwards from Hockey Prospect. Com, who does a great job with his scouting service and his big back, big black book. And I always cross paths with Mark uh, in Kitchener and elsewhere um, in the, the junior ranks over the course of the season. Uh, Mark is one of many great guys who, uh, who scout for a living and uh, stay busy and do a great job. So that's a question on process and methodology. There's a second one here, very similar, from Adrian, who says, Hey, Bob, big fan of your work on TSN and thought I'd begin listening to your podcast, loving it so far. Since I am new to it, I apologize if you've heard this question before. With myself being interested in prospects in the NHL draft, what is your process when creating draft rankings? Is there a certain methodology, philosophy you use, consensus from other scouts, etc.? Also, how much emphasis do you put on analytics? Analytics. When assessing a prospect, thanks a lot, Adrian. Well, Adrian, um, I don't put any emphasis on analytics. Um, this process that I do, and I started doing this many years ago um, in the mid-1980s. In the mid-1980s, when I was the editor-in-chief of the Hockey News, there was precisely zero draft coverage, and I mean zero. So the NHL entry draft would come up, and there was no specialty media um, doing stuff that I can recall anyways. And being kind of a draft nerd from the get-go, I decided that this was something that I wanted to get into. So I did a very rudimentary and uh, um, small scale. It might have been the first rankings I did. might have been like a top five or a top ten for the draft in the hockey news in and around 84, 85, 86, somewhere in there. Probably 85. And it wasn't long at the hockey news before we had an entire... Um, special edition uh, standalone publication, the Hockey News Draft Preview, which still goes strong today. Um, and, uh, and that was really the genesis of what I think is modern-day NHL draft coverage because, to my knowledge, there, there wasn't any. I, I didn't see any anyways. So, um, so I've always had a good relationship with NHL scouts, dating back to my days covering junior hockey and getting to be in the rinks with them and, and knowing them. And over the years, developing trust and, uh, and and what have you. So I decided that in order to do my rankings first at the Hockey News and then brought it over, of course, to TSN, I would survey these scouts. And I, I'm not kidding anybody. I'm not a scout. I'm not an expert. I don't watch these guys play 100 times a year. Um, I don't have time for that. I cover the National Hockey League on a full-time basis, not to mention the World Juniors and many other things. Um, so I become a expert or quasi-expert simply by stealing other people's information and and they're good enough to share it with me on conditions of course of anonymity so anyways the, the way this whole system basically works is it does take me a day or two to survey these 10 scouts that I talk to and they basically give me a numerical ranking um, in many instances it's a very specific number in some instances um, they're more comfortable doing a range of five, you know, like this guy's a 20 to 25 guy or this guy's a 26 to 30 guy or whatever the case may be. And I basically plot all these names. 
I use the NHL Central Scouting list that comes out and uh, mark down uh, the uh, scout at the top and then all his picks down below numerically where those various prospects are ranked. And at the end of a couple of days, I've got my uh, raw data. And then I take it and I plot it on another piece of paper and write the player's name. And then I write the 10 columns out as to what numerical numbers they were assessed by each of the 10 scouts. And then I total those up. And so you get a point total. And then once I get a point total, it's uh, I rank them by point totals. But you can't just rank them by point totals. Um, you know, there's, there's more to it because you could get a... a an outlier. You could get a, a ridiculously high ranking for somebody that would skew their total or a ridiculously low ranking that would skew their total. So then I have to go to another exercise where basically 10 players at a time um, or 10, 15 players at a time, I set up uh, down the left axis. I put plot their, the, the prospect's name up top, for example, for the top 10 columns, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, And then under each column, I mark a little stick man, a little tick, if you will, just a straight line. You know, you get four of them and then you go crossways. Four vertical sticks and then, boom, a horizontal. There's your, your block of five. Anyways, that creates a visual sense that I can look at and say, hmm, okay, even though this guy's total points are better than this other guy's total points, it's pretty clear to me looking at this chart that the guy with with uh, the higher point total, which is not a good thing. Uh, you want low point totals in, in this. Um, you know, they deserve to be reversed. So that's how I do it. And it takes about, after the day or two of surveying, it takes about what I would say three full work days, 10, 12 hours a day easy, um, to massage all these numbers and, and come up with the final rankings. I was doing this exercise in the hotel lobby in Boston during the cup final and Ray Ferraro came by, good old Ray, came by and looked at me and there's paper everywhere and it's all pen, ink, paper um, and he looks at me and he shakes his head and he goes, you do know they have Excel spreadsheets for all of this, don't you? And I do know that, but I do it old school. And part of the reason I do it old school is because I feel like I, I can absorb the information better. It's like repetition, constantly looking at it, repeating it, going through these various exercises makes me really get a better feel for what I'm dealing with. And so it is all just numbers, and probably there's a much more efficient way to do it using spreadsheets and computers and all that stuff. But, hey, I, I try to be new school on a lot of stuff, but at the end of the day, I'm 63 years old, or I will be. Uh, this August and uh, so the old school pen and paper and multiple columns and ticks and stick men uh, it works for me. Now as I mentioned earlier um, the, the TSN rankings it's not a mock draft. Um, we're not trying to match up this prospect with this team. So you know the order of selection is the order of selection. I don't even look at the order of selection when I do my draft rankings. It doesn't matter to me who's picking one, two, three, four, five, or six. I never give that any consideration, any thought whatsoever. And hey, listen, there's times when you know a certain team wants a certain player, and I could cheat 
and and put that player at that number because I would think afterwards, hey, look at how smart I was. You know, so-and-so was ranked number six, and he went six to this team. Quinn Hughes was ranked number eight. He went seventh. Adam Boquist was ranked number 10. He went eighth. Vitaly Kravtsov was ranked number 12. He went nine. And Evan Bouchard was ranked number seven, and he went 10. So really, we're talking minor variances in the top 10 outside of Barrett Hayton. And obviously, Noah Dobson, who ended up going 12th. Now, I should point out, Oliver Wallstrom went number 11. He was ranked 9th on our list. Noah Dobson went 12th. He was ranked 6th on our list. So effectively, Hayton and Dobson almost flipped spots. We had Hayton at number 11. He went 5. We had Dobson at number 6, and he went 12th. Um, in answer to your question, Mishka, about why is there a variance, let's not confuse consensus rankings with unanimity. There's never going to be unanimity. This is a highly subjective exercise evaluating hockey players. Teams have all sorts of biases that come in. Sometimes it's for position, sometimes it's for size, sometimes it's for skill, sometimes it's for a lot of different things. And there's never any real way to explain why a guy like Noah Dobson fell from our consensus ranking of 6 to actually being selected 12, other than what I would say is every team that was picking in the first 11 spots had one player they liked better than Noah Dobson. So um, I don't know if that uh, answers your question or not, but that's kind of the way I see it. Our next question is about the number one and two slots and the decision to be made between Jack Hughes and Capo Caco for the New Jersey Devils. Um, and it comes from Porcheron, and, and Porcheron kind of goes all over the map here um, with his question. But what I would boil it down to is the part of his question where he says, who is more ready to play for today in the NHL, Kako or Hughes? It's Kako. It should be about who's ready to play and can still grow their game at the same time while playing on the big stage. Hughes is not ready for goons or men. They'll take his knees out ASAP. Kako seems more like double in size with close to IQ and skill and edge work is good. And if you can only uh, take and make a constant hit, hit or be hit, Hughes won't adapt fast enough when basically he goes on to explain that, in his mind, the New Jersey Devils should be taking Kako, and the, he believes the reason they're not taking, uh, that they, they will probably won't take Kako, is for sales and marketing, because Jack Hughes is an American, and that will play better for Ray Shiro, the American general manager of the New Jersey Devils. Um, what I would say is this on the, the number one, two decision. As we talked off the top, it's very, very, very close. There's no wrong decision here. I think both these guys are going to be stars in the National Hockey League. And I think most scouts would concede that certainly next season in the NHL, that Kako probably is poised to make a greater immediate impact because of his physical maturity and that it may take a little longer for Jack Hughes to come around um, in terms of the physical maturity. But I'll tell you this. The, I saw Jack Hughes the first time I saw him play. He was playing minor midget hockey for the Toronto Marlies. And I was blown away by the speed at which he processes the game and the dynamic speed. And it sounds silly to say this, but power. He's not a powerful guy in terms of his physical size, but in terms of his, his quick step off the mark, he's a very powerful uh, stride right off the mark, and he creates separation. And anytime you can move your feet and your hands and your brain at lightning quick pace and, and make sure all three are synced up, that's what makes Jack Hughes special. 
And, and that's why the New Jersey Devils, I believe, will take them number one overall. I, I know they haven't admitted that they're taking uh, Hughes. Um, I'd be the most shocked guy in the world if he's not the number one overall selection. And from the Rangers' perspective, they'd be happy to take Capo Caco at number two. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't think it's so much a marketing element because I, hey, listen, um, Porsche Ron, at the end of the day, the majority of scouts we talk to still believe over the long haul that Jack Hughes is going to have um, the biggest impact. Um, one of the scouts I talked to had an interesting take on it and said, you know, he, he really does have a chance not to be Patrick Kane, but to make an impact on the same level that Patrick Kane made with the Chicago Blackhawks. They play a different position. They play a different style. I'm not saying Hughes is Patrick Kane. The scout was referring to the level of impact and contribution that Patrick Kane has made to the Chicago Blackhawks. That Hughes will be able to... That, that, that's the best case scenario for Hughes over the long haul. This scout also, though, went on to say, in his mind, the worst case scenario for a guy like Jack Hughes is that he turns out to be Clayton Keller. Um, very similar in, in stature. Clayton Keller, of course, came through the U.S. program, and Jack Hughes broke a lot of Clayton Keller's records. But they are, they are similar players in that regard, certainly in terms of, of uh, physical stature. And the scout made the point, Keller got 23 goals as a rookie in the National Hockey League, tailed off in his sophomore season. But nevertheless, um, Keller's a really good National Hockey League center, really good. And most of the scouts would suggest that at his absolute worst, that's what Jack Hughes is going to be, and that he's got a legitimate chance to be elite on the same level as a Patrick Kane. So... There's your number one and number two talk. Uh, let's keep with the questions here. Uh, the next one is uh, from Ross. Hi, Bob. With Bowen Byram receiving so much praise and even being talked about as the possible third overall pick in this year's draft and in some mock drafts, is it possible that Byram could potentially lift himself into the second overall spot to the New York Rangers? Regards, Ross. No, Ross, there is no chance of that in my mind. Uh, the New York Rangers feel like they've got the best spot in the draft. They don't actually have to make a decision. They've just got to take whichever of Hughes and Kako comes up at number two. As we said, we're 99.99999% certain that it will be Kako who drops to number two at the Rangers, and that is who they will be taking. Now, all that said, there's an awful lot to like about Bowen Byram. Gifted offensive defenseman, dynamic quality to his game. As I said, unbelievable confidence with the puck, highly competitive, um, you know, clearly the best defenseman available in this draft and a real chance to, to maybe make an impact immediately in the NHL. I mean, Byram's already been talking about how he, he thinks he can play in the league next year. Some of the scouts I've talked to don't necessarily disagree with that assertion and say that this guy could be contributing sooner rather than later um, in the National Hockey League and that he's got top pair potential um, because of the offensive instincts and the competitiveness um, that he has. Now, because he's ranked number three, and as we pointed out multiple times here, this is not a mock draft. We're not matching people up. There's no guarantee whatsoever that the Chicago Blackhawks will take Bowen Byram at number three overall. And in fact, there's a big part of me would be really surprised if they did. Um, I, I don't 
think teams go too crazy in the top five um, with positional preference. But it is worth noting that the Blackhawks, in each of the last two drafts, um, their top two picks in each of the last two drafts have been defensemen. Um, you got Adam Boquist and Nick Bodan last year. Henry Okaharju, who saw time on the blue line um, last year, with, with this past season with the Hawks, as well as Ian Mitchell. Um, so, listen, you can never have too many good young defensemen. Um, and I guess Byram's a consideration at number three. But I really think, in terms of personal preference, um, the Hawks are more likely to be looking at their, their, their big forward options. And the obvious ones there, Alex Turcotte, um, who's our number four ranked prospect, and Kirby Dock, the six foot four center from Saskatoon, uh, at number five. Uh, Turcotte, of course, um, played minor hockey in the, in the Kitchener area as well as Detroit, but um, locally. Um, and as I said, the ceiling on a guy like Dock at six foot four is just ridiculous. And I don't think any decisions have been made yet. Um, and as I said, maybe Stan Bowman's going to get on his horse this week and after acquiring Olimata, start dealing some defensemen and opening up some spots that might pave the way for Byram to be a consideration at three. Um, but I've got to believe it's much, much more likely that Chicago will be looking at a forward in the number three slot. And the two guys that make the most sense there are both centers. Turcotte, who plays the really hard, abrasive, aggravating, um, but still skilled two-way game. And Doc, who's uh, ceiling as being a number one, potential number one offensive center down the road, is, uh, is really enticing. Okay, let's keep the numerical uh, ranking of questions going here. And uh, this one comes from a different Mishka, I believe, uh, from Boston. Uh, Hi, Bob. I'm a big fan of yours and always look forward to your podcast and post. My question, which I've asked multiple writers and gotten different answers, is if you are the Avs, who are you drafting with the fourth pick? Well, I guess the best way to answer that is who are the three guys that are gone before he gets there, <laughs> before we get to the Colorado Avalanche at number four, courtesy of the, uh, the Ottawa Senators. And obviously Hughes will be gone, Cack will be gone. And if what I just talked about... Um, one of Doc or Turcotte could be gone, which would leave Bowen Byram on the table um, for the Colorado Avalanche. And here's, a, here's another one, and again, Joe Sackick hasn't told me what he's doing, but this is another intriguing decision based on position. When you look at the, the recent strength of the, uh, the Colorado Avalanche, and you saw what Kale McCarr, the immediate impact he made when he came in and played for the Avs in the playoffs, and the fact he's going to be full-time on the right side this year. When you look at what Samuel Girard did, the 21-year-old, McCarr's 20, right shot, uh, dynamic, puck-moving offensive defenseman. you got the 21-year-old Samuel Girard, who was all part of that Matt Duchesne, Kyle Turris, Swaparoo three-way trade between Nashville, Colorado, and Ottawa. So you've got two really good young defensemen who have a lot of the same qualities as as Byram, who's a left shot. Um, so is there room for another one? Sure, I guess there is. Um, but might your interest be to look at whichever one of Doc 
or Turcotte uh, or Dylan Cousins. We're talking big centers. We're talking guys who have a chance certainly to be top two-line centers in the National Hockey League and maybe more than that. And uh, when you look at the center ice of the, the Colorado Avalanche and you've got Nathan McKinnon, you've got the veteran in uh, Carl Soderberg, and then in between you've got the kids. You know, Tyson Jost played a uh, considerable amount of time at center, as did JT Comfer. Um, so w- would it be in the Avs' best interest to look at a center instead of Byram? That's going to be the critical question that, that it comes down to, I think, for uh, unless they go off the board. I think the real decision there is do you, if Byram's available, do you take Byram and add him to your stable of Kale McCarr and Samuel Girard? Um, or do you say our positional need and the difference between Byram and Doc or the difference between Byram and Turcotte is not so great that we need to worry about this in terms of the position thing and then just take the, the, the player that suits our purposes the best? Okay, a couple of questions about the Buffalo Sabres from Sabre fans, both of whom have the first name Ryan. First one's from Ryan Plattner in Washington, D.C. Hi, Bob. Love the podcast. As a Sabres fan, knowing that they haven't chosen a Canadian Hockey League player since Jason Botterill became general manager, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the U.S. National Team Development Program players that could be there at number seven for Buffalo. Hughes will obviously be gone, um, and likely Turcotte as well. But how would you rank the remaining forwards from that squad? It looks like any of Boldy, Caulfield, or Zgras is a likely Sabres pick. Who do you think would fit best with their needs and why? Thanks. That from Ryan Plattner. I'll read the, the second Ryan here. His name's Ryan State. Uh, hey, Bobby Mack. Huge Sabres fan here with the number seven pick. Do you see the Sabres going with one of the U.S. national team development program guys, such as Cole Caulfield, Matthew Boldy, or Trevor Zgras, if he isn't gone earlier. Do you think they will take a gamble on Vasily Podkolzin? Speaking of Podkolzin, do you think he goes in the top 10? Okay, Ryan and Ryan. Um, I think you guys are probably, um, you know, your team pretty well. And it's pretty obvious that Hughes is gone, Kako's gone. I would expect Byram to be gone. I would imagine that the centers, Turcotte and Doc, are almost certain to be gone as well. So if we presume that those five guys are not available to Buffalo, then we're looking at potentially Dylan Cousins, our number six ranked player, Trevor Zegras, our number seven ranked player, Vasily Podkolzin, our number eight ranked player, Cole Caulfield, our number nine ranked player, or number 10, Peyton Krebs, um, or number 11, Matthew Boldy. And and I think there's, there's no question that there's probably... A strong affinity for some of these young American players, um, but I got to be honest. I mean, if Kirby Doc were to drop um, to seven, uh, CHL US program doesn't matter. I, I got to think the Sabers would jump all over that. But um, you know, I wonder if if Zegras might drop to seven. If he did, I think of those Americans, Caulfield um, and uh, and Boldy. That, that maybe that would be a guy the Sabres would hone in on. But I, I still think there's a, a pretty decent chance somebody will scoop up Zgras before he gets to, uh, to Buffalo. So then you're looking at Cousins as a possibility. I think they'll, they'll do their due diligence on Peyton Krebs, although that Achilles 
tendon injury um, might um, move him down just a touch. Um, and then there's the Americans. Now, on the pod calls in front, I do think there's a, an excellent chance he's going to slip out of the top ten. Um, there are some who believe that Steve Eiserman, now the general manager of the Detroit Red Wings, and with the sixth overall pick, um, historically in Tampa when Eiserman was the GM, and obviously from his time in Detroit with the Russian Five and all of that, that if there's any general manager who's not worrying about a Russian factor, it would be Steve Eiserman. But the fact that Pod Colson is a couple of years away from, uh, from playing in the National Hockey League, uh, his contract in the KHL runs through to 2021. Um, he might get the what I call the uh, the uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov, Vladimir Tarasenko treatment, and that is those players in their draft years, Tarasenko and Kuznetsov, should have been top ten picks, maybe top five picks, to be honest, and. The teams saw that they were going to have to wait for these guys and, and maybe for more than a year or two. And so the teams backed off on what they knew were talented players who were top five, top seven, top ten in that draft, and they went much later. And St. Louis and Washington are happy that they were patient and that they didn't allow the Russian factor to push those guys either fur even further down. And Pat Colson's a real good player. He's gritty, he's hard, he plays the game well. He didn't play particularly well at the Under-18 World Championships in April, didn't put up a lot of points. But he dominated the Ivan Holinka Under-18 last August. He was fantastic at the World Junior Championship. And even though his numbers in, in, in the Russian Second League are kind of eh, um, he, he's still a really good player. And, and I do believe the Sabres will at least look at him. Um, but um, I think the two Ryans are probably on to something when they suggest that the, the stronger likelihood is for the Sabres to draft an American. But they'll do their due diligence on Cousins and Krebs and make sure that a guy like Doc doesn't slip down the list. Uh, by the way, on, on the Sabres... Um, one point I, I would like to make, I don't know why I feel this way, but I, I feel like they're maybe more inclined to want a center than a winger. And so that might put Cole Caulfield a little further down their list. As I said, uh, I, I think Zgrass might be a, a higher priority if he if he's available, but I'm not sure that he will be. And then if, um, if it's Caulfield or a bunch of centers, I'll be curious to see if the Sabres are on the side of looking more at the centers. Okay, next up, uh, Edmonton Oilers question. Hey, Bob, I'm a diehard Oilers fan, and I love your podcast. I live in Prince George, British Columbia, and I wanted to ask a question about the upcoming draft. There have been rumors swirling around about how and why the Oilers should trade the eighth overall pick. I wanted to know if you could see the Oilers or any team in the top ten willing to trade their pick in such a deep draft. Thank you for taking the time to read and hopefully answer my question. I also appreciate the work you put into the Bobcast and into your time on TSN. That from Brandon. Well, thanks very much, Brandon. My pleasure. Um, I don't think the Oilers or any team in the top 10 is necessarily going into the draft with a mind towards, I'm going to, I'm going to trade out of the top 10. Um, and I think Kenny Holland as the new general manager um, is, is probably going to want to keep the pick and and try to get a player who's going to be a big foundational building block for many years to come. Now, 
all bets are off if as part of a much bigger deal um, you can acquire a big time national hockey league talent and in 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 address your weaknesses either on the blue line or offensive depth up front and if it takes using the eighth pick overall well then that's a different story but in terms of just the idea of trading out of the top 10 to go down i suppose it's possible if you if you were thinking of maybe taking a defenseman and you you didn't think because there are no defensemen outside of byram rated in the top 10 if you think you could slide four or five spots down pick up an asset and get your defenseman in the mid-teens yeah that's always possible but all things being equal, I think Edmonton will will keep its pick. Now, what direction they go? Um, like the Sabres, they've got a lot of the same uh, the same decisions to make. Um, we've got to assume that, <laughs> I keep saying this, but I mean, Kako, Hughes, Byram, um, Turcotte, uh, Doc, uh, Zgras. I think those guys will be gone. Um, maybe Dylan Cousins will be gone. I'm not sure. If Cousins isn't gone, um, I could see him being a significant consideration for the Edmonton Oilers. If Zgras isn't gone, I could see him being um, uh, a notable consideration for the Oilers. But I could also see a couple of guys that are ranked outside the top 10 being of interest to Edmonton, especially if Cousins and Zgras are gone. And, And one would be the big winger, Matthew Boldy, um, who, as I mentioned before, he's got a nice blend of being able to score goals and get on the inside and play a big game, um, but also got real nice hands. Um, and then we've heard a lot of talk over the last week or two out of Edmonton about Swedish defenseman Philip Broberg, who's a real good skating, offensive-minded defenseman. And in that group of five defensemen that we talked about, starting with uh, Soderstrom at 14, um, Cedar at 15, Broberg at 16, Harley at 17, and Cam York at 18. I think of that group of, of defensemen, the two Swedes, Soderstrom and Broberg, um, might be of more interest to the Oilers than the others. Don't know that for a fact. It's just me surmising that. Um, but I still think if you're picking in the top 10, they're still much more likely to end up taking a forward. And... Um, as I say, Cousins and Zgras, if either one of those guys are on the board or Turcotte, if, if there's somehow any one of those guys falls to the Oilers, I think that's your logical choice. But uh, Boldy would have to also be a consideration. So um, there you have it on the Edmonton Oilers. This next email is kind of a cool one. It's from a triumvirate of Bobcast listeners. Hi, Bob. We are a forum of three 40-something friends who really enjoy all things hockey, whether it be junior, minor league, or NHL. This includes discussing hockey daily via text, road tripping together to view hockey, and partaking in very serious competitive fantasy hockey. We love the Bobcasts and look to you as the guiding light for all things hockey. This Friday, the day of the draft, we will be gathering to watch the NHL draft, two of us in person and one via the wonders of the internet. By the way, TSN coverage of the draft is still the gold standard on how it should be done. One friend, Rod, has it easy. He's a New Jersey Devils fan, so the choice for him is simple. The other two are Habs fans, which leads to our question. Who will the Habs pick at number 15 is the big picture question. But more specifically, do they take Raphael Lavoie, who amongst our three-person amateur scouting forum looks immensely talented but lazy and disinterested? 
What is the professional scouting report on them? If you have a time, a second question about next year's group. We recognize you might be calling it a career, but would love to hear your thoughts anyway. In 2020, who is the guy? Our forum is high on Lucas Raymond, Quinton Byfield, and Alexi Lafreniere. Who isn't? Who do you like? Thanks for all you do and have done in hockey broadcasting. Your friends, the forum. That includes Paul Johnson in Peterborough, Ontario. Rod Tambo Rambaran from Whitby, Ontario, and Brody McLeod from Miramichi, New Brunswick. So there we go. Paul, Rod, and Brody. The Forum. How cool is that? Um, I don't know how I feel, though, about Paul and Rod fraternizing because Paul is from Peterborough and Rod's from Whitby, and I'm just not sure on that whole fraternization between Peterborough and Whitby thing. Um and you're absolute. So Rod's from Whitby, so he's pretty excited. Uh, I'm from Whitby, of course, and uh, he's pretty excited because he's a New Jersey Devil fan, and so he's got it figured out. Um, Jack Hughes to the Devils, all good. Um, Paul and Brody, of course, are Montreal Canadiens fans, and uh, I had to laugh as I was reading your scouting report, your amateur scouting report. Um, on Raphael Lavoie of the Halifax Mooseheads. Looks immensely talented, but lazy and disinterested. Um, so I I put a couple of texts out to my scouting pals, the real scouts, and basically came back the same thing. He's a big guy. He's a fast, straight-line skater, north-south, um, but serious in-and-out problems in terms of lazy and disinterested, basically. So the forum's got a pretty, uh, they got a future in scouting. Um, and, and listen, it's natural. When the Montreal Canadiens are picking 15, the first thing a lot of people do is look, well, who's the highest ranked Francophone or Quebecois um, prospect in the draft? And in this instance, it's Raphael Lavoie, who's put up some real nice numbers and is a, a real good goal scorer, and he's got some size. He's got some attributes. He really does. Um, I think that whole francophone Quebecois thing's a little bit overblown for the Montreal Canadiens. I think they're interested in getting the best player available. And because the Habs are picking in 15, picking at 15 this year, um, there obviously will be good forwards available. But they're going to be right in that wheelhouse of all those defensemen we talked about. Soderstrom, Cedar, Broberg, Harley, York. Um, you know, and there's going to be a lot of people too who say, well, wait a second here. Uh, there's Ryan Suzuki at number 20. How, how cool would that be? Nick Suzuki is, uh, going to be in the Montreal organization next year, whether he's on the Canadians or, uh, with the firm team. Um, so there'll be a lot of people who say it makes sense to get both Suzuki's. Um, the scouting report, by the way, on Ryan Suzuki is immensely skilled, elite hockey sense, elite hands, um, but the knock on him, and one of the reasons why his his ratings kind of plummeted a little bit over the year, although he's still number 20 in the, the first round, is that um, he's a perimeter player, that he doesn't get to the inside, that he doesn't get his nose dirty, and that at the next level, you know, his elite level skill in hockey sense isn't going to carry him if he, if he can't get to the inside. Um, I do know that Barry Colts head coach uh, Dale Howardchuck um, has been working with Suzuki on that over the course of the year and that um, he was much better late in the season in terms of getting to the inside 
and becoming less of a perimeter player. But that is the knock on him from the scouts, and by all accounts, it was fairly legitimate over much of the year. But boy, oh boy, um, really, really smart kid and uh, and really nice hands and a great mind for the game. So we will see on, on that front as, as far as Montreal goes. But I, I got to think that one of those defensemen is maybe more likely in the Montreal wheelhouse than a forward. But let's see who drops from that other group. The, the one flight of fancy I've got is that goaltender Spencer Knight, and we're going to talk a little bit more about him in a minute. Um, my flight of fancy is that that the Montreal Canadiens, who took Carey Price, what, fifth overall? What year was that? 2005, Montreal took Carey Price fifth overall. My flight of fancy for this draft is that they're going to get to 15. They're going to look at all the, the skaters on the table and say, why? Why would we settle for um, the second or third best defenseman available? Or why would we settle for the, you know, the 10th best forward available? Why don't we take the best goaltender available? Um, because by all accounts, um, uh, Spencer Knight is is that potential franchise goalie that Carey Price was and, and has been for the Montreal Canadiens. Anyways, I just found it amusing. Only the, the only I'm not saying Montreal's taking the goaltender at all. Um, I'm only saying that they went way outside the box in 2005 with Price, and it would be hilarious to see it happen again. Um, be lots of fodder for when I go on Montreal radio after the draft. But anyways, um, I think it's more likely to be defenseman, but do not know that for an absolute fact. Okay, so next up, let's talk about those goaltenders. Um, this comes from Brian on Long Island. Hi, Bob. I know Spencer Knight will be a first-round pick, and usually one goalie goes early in the second round. But do you think there's another goalie who could be drafted in the first round? Um, the short answer is I'd be really surprised. Now I'm pull up my list here for a second. Um, our top-ranked goaltender after Spencer Knight, who's at number 12, is, where is he? Where's Hunter Jones? Damn, there he is. Number 57. So we've got Hunter Jones at 57. The next goalie we have is Peter Kochakov, who played so well for the Russians at the uh, the World Junior Championship. And we've got Kochakov at number 66. And I'm just looking here quickly to see. Oh, and we've got Mad Sogard, the big Danish goaltender, who plays in the Western Hockey League at number 80. I don't think there's any chance of Jones, Kochikov, or Sogard, or any other goalie going in the first round, but I guess you could never rule it out. I, I do know that in the scouts that I surveyed, Kochikov in particular um, had one, one ranking inside the top 31, but I'd be really surprised if that were to happen. And Hunter Jones had some rankings in the in the, the the mid to late 30s and 40s. But uh, as I said, we settled on 51 for Jones and uh, 66 for Kochikov and 80 for Sogard. So th this whole um, goalie thing in the first round is voodoo. And I'm going to be really curious to see what happens with Spencer Knight here. Really curious. Um, because this guy, by all accounts, is a stud. And, and the way it works... 
for a goaltender is not unlike the way it works for, say, a Russian like Pod Colson. So teams are going to take their make their picks. Let's assume for a moment that Spencer Knight doesn't go in the top 10 and Pod Colson doesn't go in the top 10. Every team that picks from 11 forward, they sit there and they look and they go, do I have somebody here on our board, on our list, who we like better than the best goaltender in the draft and maybe a goaltender who could be a franchise goalie, maybe the next Carey Price and John Gibson all rolled into one. Do we have a, a position, a skater, that we like better than, than that prospect or are we willing to roll the dice on the goalie? And and the same sort of deal goes with Pod Colson where you say, okay, we've got this Russian player who deserves to be top 10 on merit, but because of his contract and maybe we like somebody else just a little better or the same as, we'll err on the side of not going with the Russian. So that's the type of decision that's going to be made for every pick outside of the top 10, assuming Knight doesn't go in the top 10 or Pod Colson doesn't go in the top 10. And we've talked on previous Bobcasts about the whole goalie voodoo in the first round. I mean, you look back to 2000, Rick DiPietro went number one overall. Yikes, what a terrible pick for the New York Islanders as it turned out. He wasn't a franchise goalie. Um, but at the time, people thought he was. Speaking of which, I mean, a lot of people forget in, in the 2000 draft, Brent Cron was taken ninth overall by the Calgary Flames. How'd that work out? Not very well. And didn't deter them. In 2001, Pascal Leclerc went eight to Columbus. Um, Dan Blackburn went number 10 to the New York Rangers. Jason Bakashawa went 26 to Dallas. And Adam Monroe went 29 to Chicago. If ever there were an advertisement of not taking goalies in the first round, it would probably be Leclerc, Blackburn, Bakashawa, and Monroe. The year after that, 2002, Kari Lettinen went second overall to Atlanta. He had an NHL career. I don't know how distinguished he'd necessarily make it. But Cam Ward went 25th overall that year to Carolina, and Hanu Toivonen went 29th overall to Boston. Uh, 2003, I mean, the Pittsburgh Penguins hit a home run. First overall, Marc-Andre Fleury. Arguably the best goalie pick in the first round ever. You can make that case. Won Stanley Cups has had an illustrious NHL career, and uh, he was everything that the Pittsburgh Penguins thought he was going to be when they made him the first pick in the 2003 draft. Um, we could go on and on here. I mean, 2004, um, Al Montoya went six to the Rangers, Devin Dubnik, 14 to the Oilers. Took a while for Dubnik to become an NHLer, but he did. Merrick Schwartz, 17 to St. Louis. Uh, Corey Schneider, 26th overall to Vancouver. So mixed results in 2004. In 05, it was a home run. Carey Price at number five and Tuka Rask drafted by the Toronto Maple Leafs at 21. But there's two stalwart, elite, number one NHL goalies taken in the first round in 05. But um, more recently, I, when I think of, every time I think that I, I want someone to jump on Spencer Knight in the top 10, and, and take him for what he is, you know, stud goalie. I think back to the 2010 draft when everybody was saying the same thing about Jack Campbell that they're saying now about Spencer Knight. And uh, Jack Campbell went 11th overall to Dallas, and he's become an NHL goalie with the LA Kings, but a backup, and it's taken a long, long time 
for that to happen. Since then, teams have been really hesitant. 2011, no goalies taken. 2012, Vasilevsky, 19th overall to Tampa Bay. Can't argue with that one. He's a stud. Malcolm Subban, 24th overall to Boston. Didn't work out there, but Subban's at least an NHL goalie. Nothing in 2013, nothing in 14. 2015, Ilya Samsonov for the Washington Capitals, 22nd overall. Still got some work to do and playing in the American League now, but still could be a, a real good one. And Dallas took Jake Ottinger in 2017. The jury's still out uh, on him, but none in 2016 and none in 2018. So if we get one this year, it'll be night. And I, as I say, I'm fascinated to see how high or low he goes. Next up is an email question about Brett Leeson from the Prince Albert Raiders. Hi, Bob. My name is Dallas King, and I live in Rocky Mountain House, Alberta. Thank you for the podcast. I always look forward to what you have to say. A co-worker and I were having a discussion the other day about 20-year-old Brett Leeson, currently with the Prince Albert Raiders in the WHL. We really noticed him earlier in the year during the World Juniors. What sticks out to us is that he's a 20-year-old, and you have him on your draft board at 25. And editor's note there, that was 25 on the mid-season rankings. Was he passed on in the previous two drafts as an 18- and 19-year-old? At what point does a player get passed on enough that he become a free agent and is able to sign with whoever comes calling? Thank you for your time, and I hope you're enjoying the playoffs. Of course, this was sent to me back on April 30th. Okay, um, thanks for the email, Dallas. And uh, on Leeson, a um, couple of things. So if a... If a player gets passed over in three drafts in his 18-year-old year, his 19-year-old year, his 20-year-old year, um, then he becomes a free agent and he can sign wherever he wants. But Leeson is still, uh, in order to uh, be signed to an NHL contract, uh, he has to go through this draft first. And he was passed on as an 18-year-old and a 19-year-old, and we've talked at length in previous podcasts and over the course of the whole year about the Brett Leeson story. Phenomenal production this year with the Prince Albert Raiders. Um, basically came out of nowhere to make Canada's national junior team. Played very well there. And um, he was 25 on our midseason rankings. And he did drop to number 34 on our uh, final rankings. Now I should point out um, that the guys in the 30s, and even for that matter the 40s, but especially the guys in the 30s as I look for my list. Where is it? So I'm talking, you know, Jamison Reese in, uh, in Sarnia, Ryan Johnson in the USHL, Brett Leeson with Prince Albert, Nils Hoglander in Sweden. Um, those guys in particular would not surprise me at all if somebody jumps on them in the first round and that any of Vili Heinle or Samuel Poulin or Matthew Robertson or... Tobias Bjornfod or McMichael or Vlasic or Lassie Thompson or Pelche, any of those guys in the late 20s uh, or 30 or 31 could drop into the second. So, so that's one thing to, to keep note on. Um, part of the reason I think Leeson's stock dropped just a little bit um, was because he was injured at the World Junior Championship. He took that slash on the hand. He ended up getting surgery on his finger. And while he didn't miss a ton of time, I'm not sure he was quite as productive or quite as effective afterwards. There are also some scouts I talked to who said that there might have been some fatigue at work here, that as the season wore on, that he didn't have the same pop in his stride 
that he did earlier in the year. And he is an intriguing guy because he is so big. He's got great hands and he's got a great shot. And he did come up with this production that seemingly came out of nowhere. Very reminiscent of Tanner Pearson a number of years ago who didn't get drafted his first two years in the Ontario Hockey League and then had a huge year with the Barry Colts and was taken in the first round by the LA Kings. It would surprise nobody if Leeson gets drafted in the first round here, but even if he doesn't, it's going to be early in the second. And obviously he's going to, I would think, turn pro right away. Um, if he's not playing in the National Hockey League next year, I think it's a pretty safe bet he'll be on an NHL contract in the American Hockey League. So um, that's kind of where we're at uh, with, uh, with Brett Leeson. So it would be nice to see him. I love to see these quote-unquote Cinderella stories, I guess, of a kid that got passed over in back-to-back years and now is uh, knocking on the door of the first round of this year's draft. Okay, next and final draft-related question is um, from Sakari. Uh, Hi, Bob. I'm a big hockey fan and also an NHL draft fan. The NHL draft is by far my favorite outside the NHL uh, rink event. I always do some research on the prospects who are about to get drafted, and sometimes I watch them play myself so I can also construct some of my own opinions about them. I always tune in on the show on NBC, and I noticed at last year's show that the analysts there, including yourself, were clearly fed these picks before they were announced. Can you tell us how they came up with this process? Was it to help you come up with your notes quicker on the player who's getting drafted? And I ask you to please stop the educated guesses, which are always right, before the actual announcement, because I found it inappropriate, and I know I was not alone in this. It ruins the suspense. I mean, they don't announce the Oscar winning, the Oscar winner, right before Nicole Kidman says the name and hands out the statue, do they? That from Sakari. Okay, Sakari, um, there's a bunch of um, points to rebut here, and, and it will be a rebuttal. Um, okay, so the first one that I would take issue with is analysts there, including you, were clearly fed these picks before they were actually announced. Let me be abundantly clear here, perfectly clear, um, because I'm clearly fed nothing. Um, I've done a lot of drafts on television a long way back, um, TSN in the uh, the 80s, 90s, and 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 uh, for a long time after that, and most recently since TSN lost the rights, national rights that included the draft to uh, to Rogers, I've been doing it the last number of years here for for NBC. In all the time that I've been doing the draft on television, I've never asked for, or had, or expected um, the truck to tell me who the pick is going to be, um, doesn't serve any purpose. Um, my job is to analyze things. And sports, unlike the Academy Awards, um, Nicole Kidman is not giving you an evaluation of the actresses or actors who are maybe about to, who've been nominated for an Oscar. Um, they're just going to announce the winner. Um, so if you want the Oscars, watch the Oscars. If you want to watch the draft, you watch the draft, and I appreciate that you do, and I appreciate you to take the, take the time to get to know the prospects. Um, but what my job is to, is to say, what are the best options here? It's, I think it's important, as we do a draft, 
because not all the, the viewers are as up on the prospects as you are, Sakari. And I think it's important to give them a perspective saying, here's who's left on the board. Here are their various options. You know, an offensive defenseman, a defensive defenseman, a goal-scoring winger, a two-way center, whatever the case may be. And then to give them what are perceived to be their best options and also what we think fits best with what they're looking for. That's just part of the job. And uh, as I say, if I get it right, I get it right. If I get it wrong, I get it wrong. Um, I don't worry about that stuff. Never have, never will. Um, I'm not looking for credit. Uh, I'm just looking to analyze the draft and tell you a little bit about the prospects both before the pick is made and after the pick is made. So um, that, uh, that's kind of where we're at. Anyways, I, uh, I love the draft, as apparently Sakari does, and I can't wait to uh, get to Vancouver and be part of the NBC broadcast. And uh, I miss the fact that uh, a lot of my colleagues at TSN um, don't get to do the draft anymore, and I appreciate the kind comments from many Canadians who really love the way that TSN did the draft and are um, unhappy that or sad that TSN doesn't get to do it. But nevertheless, onward and upward, and, and here we go. So um, that's basically it for the, uh, the, the, the draft stuff. I really wish we had a lot more time to go into a whole bunch of team-oriented stuff and all the crazy trades and RFAs and UFAs and signings and gossip and everything else that's going on because it really does feel like there's a lot percolating and that there's a lot going to happen here. The New York Rangers don't look like they're finished. I mean, uh, lots of Chris Kreider trade talk, Jimmy Vesey, so Jeff Gorton could still be busy there. Uh, Chuck Fletcher with the Philadelphia Flyers has been very aggressive, made the Niskanen for Gouda's trade. Um, uh, by the way, he, um, as of a few hours ago anyways, there was all sorts of sense out there that maybe the Flyers were getting close to nailing down a long-term contract for Kevin Hayes, the pending UFA. They acquired his rights, of course, for the uh, fifth-round pick from the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, if, if it gets done... A six-year deal, maybe um, north of six point five million per, um, close to seven, maybe even seven. I don't know. The, the thing of it is, the, the deal wasn't done, but maybe by the time the podcast is, it will be. And let's be honest: the Florida, Chicago, the Rangers, Arizona, those are all teams that would have interest in Kevin Hayes and might be prepared to pay him close to what the Flyers of uh, are willing to. But as of a while ago, there seemed to be a sense of optimism coming out of Philly that they were going to get the Kevin Hayes deal done. Um, I get the feeling Chicago general manager Stan Bowman is not finished. Um, he's continuing to look at making moves. I feel the same way about Jim Rutherford, the general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, Kessel trades on hold right now, but you never know. It could be resurrected at any time, and uh, there seems to be a lot percolating in Pittsburgh. I'm hearing a lot of talk that Julian Brisebois, general manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning, is very active in terms of seeing what's available to him out there to uh, make some significant improvements to his hockey team. Uh, you've got the Vegas Golden Knights need to shed some salary, I would think. Um, so new general manager Kelly McCrimmon could be busy. Um, and speaking of shedding salary in dollars, this whole thing with the NHL salary cap is really fascinating. 
Um, all the projections for the last little while have been suggesting that the salary cap could go up to as high as 83 million. Um, then it kind of got downgraded. It's going to be less than 83, but it'll probably be 82. Um, the latest word, multiple teams very concerned hearing this salary cap for next season could be 81.5 million, only $2 million more than what we saw um, the, this past season. And lots of teams really concerned about that and how it will impact their ability to do business. And uh, so, yeah, we probably won't find out until Friday or Saturday what the official number is, but there is a lot of 81.5 talk out there. And if it's not 81.5, it's still going to be less than 82 million. And uh, you know the PA is trying to get the, the escrow numbers down, and the manner in which to do that would be to keep the cap lower. Um, that's not going to make the free agent group happy on July 1st because there's not going to be a lot of new money in the system available for those free agents. And uh, it could, uh, that's, a, that's a thorny one. And obviously all this is set against the backdrop of the NHL and the NHLPA negotiating a new CBA and trying to uh, get this done before each side has the ability to serve notice in the fall of, uh, of wanting to reopen the CBA. So there's all that to be concerned with. Um, I think the Canadian teams all seem poised and ready to do some, uh, some interesting things. In Vancouver, there's all sorts of talk. The general manager, Jim Benning, is looking to acquire defensemen, and uh, we'll see if he can move Louis Erickson in the process. Uh, Kenny Holland, the new GM in Edmonton, is looking at any and all his options, um, possibly to trade a defenseman to get a forward, um, to try and remake his defense, make it better, deeper. Um, wouldn't be surprised if Kenny Holland tries to and might be successful in finding a, a home for the Milan Lucic contract, but that's got a lot of moving parts, so we'll, we'll see on that. Um, same sort of deal, I guess. Different, same but different. <laughs> uh, James Neal, the Calgary Flames, could he be on the move? Uh, quite conceivably could. Um, heard a lot of TJ Brody trade talk out of Calgary. We'll see if anything materializes there. Um, Toronto Maple Leafs have a lot of work to do. Obviously, the Mitch Marner contract is probably holding up a lot of stuff, but the Leafs seem to be involved in a lot of trade talk as they try to remake their blue line. Uh, we'll see what Ottawa and Montreal does. Pierre Dorian and Mark Bergeron, how active they are. Um, but I, I think the action central in Canada is probably central Canada, and that is where General Manager Kevin Sheveldayoff of the Winnipeg Jets has a lot of work to done. He's already a lot of work to do, rather. He um, he's not getting rave reviews from a lot of people for the return on Jacob Truba trade to the New York Rangers, with uh, Neil Pionk and Winnipeg getting back. It's uh, its own first-round pick, 20th overall, that they gave up to the Rangers for Kevin Hayes. And I'm not saying I like the return for Truba, but I think it illustrates a couple of things. Number one, um, it's getting harder and harder to get fair market value for guys that only have one year left on their contract, even if they're 25 years old like Truba. Or, and we saw it when, when Ottawa traded Eric Carlson to the San Jose Sharks. Those guys that are one year out from free agency boy, it's just like their long-term rentals. I sometimes wonder if they, teams might not be better off to hold them to the deadline and they would get more for them at the deadline than they would. But that's not an option for Winnipeg because they need the cap space. They've got to get Line A signed. They've got to get Connor signed. 
they got to get Andrew Cop signed. They they got a lot of work to to do there, and and that's why there was pressure to to make the Truba deal um, before the season starts and not hold on to him. So that's um, that's certainly consideration. And I think the other part where Winnipeg really takes a beating on are the optics. As I say, I don't love the return on on Truba, um, but the optics are even worse because they reacquired their own first-round pick. And it just underscores how they they lost the roll of the dice. They gambled and lost on the Kevin Hayes rental acquisition because they didn't go deep into the playoffs. But they're not the only team that, I mean, virtually every team that didn't win the Stanley Cup, to varying degrees, got in the rental market. And, you know, look at the Columbus Blue Jackets. They gambled and they lost. Um... You know, and uh, but because Kevin Cheveldayoff traded away that first round pick and then got it back as part of the Truba deal, that's when people right away they say, "Well, the deal was Truba and Brendan Lemieux for Neil Pioink, um, a short run, a short but failed run with Kevin Hayes in your lineup, and a fifth round pick that you got for sending Kevin Hayes rights to Philadelphia." And so, I that is the bottom line. There's no denying that. But I have to believe that if Kevin Sheveldev had chosen to do a deal with somebody other than a team that holds his own first-round pick, that maybe you could have split up those two things. Um, that the the losing the roll of the dice on the on the uh, on the on the trade deadline rental is a separate transaction from the Jacob Truba, but because it's with the New York Rangers again. It all kind of gets rolled into one big package that doesn't necessarily reflect favorably. Anyways, lots to talk about, lots to debate, lots to discuss. Uh, enjoy the NHL awards. Enjoy the NHL draft. I know I will. It's my favorite time of the year. And uh, all things being equal, we'll come back at you sometime next week with the final Bobcast of the season. And enjoy, everybody. Have a great, uh, great time. And... Uh, We'll be right back at you next week, I hope. Okay, that's it for the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like to submit a question on hockey or just about anything else, email it to bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca, and we'll try to get it on the next Bobcast. Be sure to follow me on Twitter. That's at TSN Bob McKenzie. And for great hockey coverage all year round, follow the at TSN Hockey Twitter account and make tsn.ca your source for all things hockey especially for the Tuesday and Thursday editions of Insider Trading with myself, Darren Dreger, and Pierre Lebrun. Thanks for tuning into the Bobcast. See you next time, and have a great weekend.